Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Our children invited to Kids Own Worship at this time, if you want to do that, or you can remain in here with us. Good morning, Grantham Church. Good to see all of you in worship this morning. If you're visiting with us, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm the senior pastor here at Grantham. And if you're watching via live stream, we welcome you as well. Go ahead and grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in verse 9 this morning through verse 14. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And when you find that, would you stand with me for the reading of the Scriptures? Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The Christian virtue of humility. That is the title of the message today. You may have already noticed in your bulletin this morning. In the early church, humility was held up as one of the highest virtues of Christian character. Now think about this. In fact, it was an identity marker that set disciples apart from unbelievers in the Greco-Roman world. It was one way that people could see who were followers of Jesus and who were not. Now why is that? Well, It's because in an honor and shame culture, there is no difference between humility and humiliation. Think about this. So in the first century, humility was seen as weakness 
and it was denigrated by those who believed the things like boasting, uh, self-sufficiency, wealth and status, and political power were ways of achieving the good life. I'm not making this up. This is, this is the, really the truly the way it was in the first century. It was how you proved your worth and preserved your honor. And I submit to you that American culture is increasingly moving in that direction, wouldn't you say? You see, I think America is confused about whether humility is a virtue or not. On the one hand, we can still tell the difference, thank God, between someone who is humble and someone who is prideful and egotistical. And generally, generally, we don't like the latter. But capitalism, uh, consumerism, competition, which is, you know, part of that American spirit, including extreme political ideologies, all appear to be changing our minds about humility and its usefulness. And so you might even say that while we detest a person who thinks too highly of themselves, if the person can help further our agenda, help get things done, and, and this could be a political leader, it could also be a pastor, right? We've seen lots of celebrity pastors that have embraced this way. But if that person, so, so whether it's a congregation or, or constituents in a particular area where politicians represent them, if, if that person can help further our agenda and can get things done, right, produce results, we care not about the state of their soul, and we seem to disregard the long-term impact the less than humble, we'll say, leader or celebrity will have on the community or the soul of a nation. And this should concern all of us, beginning with the body of Christ. So think back to the way the world was when Jesus told this story in Luke 18, which we just read about the prideful Pharisee and the humble tax collector. You see, humility was seen as weakness, foolishness, and it was utterly useless for self and for society at that time. And Jesus knew that, which is why he set out to change it. And he did change it. And brothers and sisters, that is no exaggeration. There was a study done just a few years ago by mostly secular historians at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, who were looking at the role humility plays in leadership. They found that the Christian faith is solely responsible for the massive shift in the world's view of humility and have a contempt as well for a false humility because of one person and one movement and that is Jesus of Nazareth in the Christian church. So I, I want to help us this morning properly define humility and call us to rediscover the Christian virtue of humility and invite us to embody this way of Christ by renewing our commitment to the God who looks like Jesus over and against all other carnality, extreme ideologies, and competing allegiances, which corrupt individuals in the culture that we create. Now, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. You remember that? 
blessed are the meek. The New Living Translation translates that as humble. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And so this is some of the salt and light, which Jesus uses that language there in the Sermon on the Mount, the salt and light that we bring into the world, this humility which Jesus spoke of there in his sermon. So let's begin with this definition so that we're all on the same page. What is humility? John Dixon, another Australian uh, who wrote this book, Humilitas, he's a historian, he said in his book, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. It is a willingness to hold power in service to others, to hold power in service to others. So understood this way, it makes sense why St. Augustine would say that almost the whole of Christian teaching is humility. To begin to live like Christ means we must begin in humility toward God, right, and how we see ourselves in, in, in light of a holy God and in relationship to others. And to be clear, humility is not about demeaning or degrading yourself. I like what Rick Warren said. He put it this way in The Purpose Driven Life. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less, right? Humility is thinking more of others. Isn't that good? That's, I think that's a helpful definition for us. It's helpful because we tend to think that the opposite of pride is humility, don't we? The opposite of pride is humility. That's what we, we tend to think. And usually it's in this sort of, I'm nothing but a completely depraved worm that deserves death and hell sort of way. Or as, or as one great awakening preacher put it, we're just a loathsome spider that God dangles over the eternal fires of hell and damnation, this sort of thing. But first, this isn't what the Bible means by humility. And second, the opposite of pride isn't true humility, folks. It is shame. It is shame. Because as Jesus in the New Testament revealed to us, genuine humility rejects the extremes of greatness and of smallness, of pride and of shame. And it recognizes our equality and our sameness in the Father's love. And they call us, Jesus in the New Testament, they call us to discover we could call it a third way, avoiding the ditches of human pride and shame. You know, I'm always trying to create graphics to help us uh, take in a concept. Well, here's one for you to illustrate what I've just said. We have the way of humility, the, the road of humility, which is the way of Jesus. That's what I'm about to expound on here. And then we have the ditches of pride and shame. And again, we're being called to avoid the ditches, avoid these extremes. What does it look like to be stuck in the ditch of pride? Ask yourself that. What does that look like? Surely none of us are stuck in the ditch of pride. Probably if you are stuck in either one of these ditches, it, it may be difficult for you to admit that this morning, but the Holy Spirit can help right? The Holy Spirit can help you to see that, you know, you're not a very teachable person. 
And you think because you're an expert in one field, that means that your opinion should be equally awaited in other fields, like you're an expert in those fields. And folks, that's not true, and that's what we call pride. Pride is, is also an, this unwillingness to see that we are sinners just like everyone else. And it isn't just the leadership that has the problem. You also have the problem. We have the problem. It's called sin, and it's infected us all. Amen? And what does it look like to be stuck in the ditch of shame? I know some folks are there in this ditch. They, maybe they don't want to be in this ditch. They, they know that they're there for a variety of reasons. The, maybe, maybe the, the um, things they've experienced in life have led them to this ditch. Maybe it was a mother or father or, or a teacher or someone who the, the way that they were talked to and the way that they were disciplined or punished as, as a kid growing up has them living in this ditch of shame. And they can only see themselves in this way, that they're not lovable, that there is nothing that they could do to, to earn the favor of God, which I would agree to. There's nothing we can do to earn the favor of God. It is, it is free, this grace of God. And that's what we need to come to be impacted by and transformed by is this grace of God, for in doing so, we stick to the road in the way of humility. You know, there's a lot that could be said about humility in the Bible, but this next passage that we're about to read stands out, I believe, above the rest. And that's because the Apostle Paul tells us that the incarnation and the cross of Christ was at the core revealing of God's own humble character, the cross was. It reveals to us what God is really like what his character is really like. And he says that disciples of Jesus are to follow in this way of humility. Turn now, if you would, in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, begin verse 1. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul writes this, pretty well-known passage. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate, right? You've embraced this gospel. What is the fruit? What is the difference that it is making in your life? I hear Paul saying this. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. And then Paul quotes what is believed to be a, an early hymn of the church, maybe within the first few years of the Christian movement. He quotes it saying this, though he was God, meaning Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Jesus didn't go around saying, I'm God, listen to me. <laughs> I mean, he could have, but he didn't. And that was on purpose. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges as the son of God. He took the humble position of a slave and in my mind, I'm seeing him knelt down almost completely naked with a towel wrapped around his waist, washing the feet of his disciples. This is the role that Jesus took upon himself. 
God in the flesh, washing dirty feet like a servant, like a slave when he appeared in human form. Verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, because Jesus did this, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So where an earthly king might win a great battle to then be enthroned, Jesus does too, but it looks a lot different, doesn't it? Jesus humbled himself, therefore God exalted the Christ to be the name above all names, the name of which we worship this morning, the name by which we know what God is truly like and what he wants for us. So what does this humility of Christ look like, you may ask, in our own lives? We, like, we hear Philippians 2 and we apply it to our own lives. What might that look like practically and how do we live this out each day? Well, if you're taking notes, this might be some good stuff to jot down here. Here's what I think it looks like, just a glimpse of humility in action. It looks like putting others before yourself in thought, word, and deed. And aren't we all working on this one? It doesn't matter how long you have followed Christ. <laughs> you can be following Jesus for 40, 50 years or more than that. And I think we all can recognize that we're still struggling to do this. And if you think that you've arrived and let's say you're married, just ask your spouse. They'll be honest with you. Two, I think it looks like being teachable and open to correction and instruction. And this is for everybody. It's for the Christian pastor, for the Christian leader. It is for all of us who are seeking to follow Jesus together. It doesn't matter how many uh, initials that you've got behind your name. I don't care how many degrees you have. We should never stop being teachable, being open to correction and instruction, to wake up one day and realize, you know what? I was wrong. And I know that's a hard thing to confess, isn't it? For all of us, for all of us. But for some of us, you know, it's like the rich young ruler. It was hard in his wealth to recognize his error and to give up his idols. So it is for some of us who've been puffed up with knowledge for years and years and years to learn to be humble. It can get more challenging to be so in our education and the accumulation of information. And you may even have a, a, a high place in society and community and you may have an important job but it doesn't matter, you're still called to be teachable and humble. I've told you this story before. Uh, I was probably 18, 19 years old, freshly had repented of my sins, but immediately started to serve in the church. And uh, back in the late 90s, this would have been, it was still a little radical for folks to have tattoos or earrings or that kind of thing. I don't have tattoos, but I was wearing an, an earring as I served in front and I'll never forget one day after the service, I was down at the altar because that was a regular thing that you did in the Baptist church. They had altar calls and uh, I wasn't there to give my life to Jesus. I was just there to, to pray at the altar. And I remember feeling this big man hand on my shoulder. Now, I didn't know too many big hands like that. I thought it might be my dad. I turned around in the midst of my prayer and saw that it was uh, an elder in the church. 
and they were crying. And quickly in my mind, I'm thinking, what is this all about? And he could just see it on the man's face, just very apologetic, almost embarrassed. And I still remember his name is Mr. Hamsley. And I, and I said, hey, what's going on? He said, David, I have to come to you and confess that I have been judging you because of the way that you look. And God has convicted me of this, and I've come to tell you that I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Now, folks, that may seem like not a big deal to us today. I don't know, like with the earring and all that. But that took a lot for this man in the church, an elder of the church, to come and do that. Folks, that is humility. That is being teachable. That isn't just saying, oh, I was wrong and moving about your business. That's easy to do. But to actually go to the person that God knows that you've been judging and you've offended and saying you're sorry, that's a work of the Spirit. That's a work of the Spirit. Amen? Also means being quick to listen and slow to speak. That's the language that James uses. I think it's also helpful at times. What does it not look like? It does not look like being consumed with self. It doesn't look like being consumed with our feelings and what I feel. And, you know, I just feel this way. Sometimes our sentences begin that way. Well, it's not all about your feelings. And sometimes this puffs us up, as I said. It gives us a sense of entitlement. I'm, I'm important. Our church is important. Being prideful and rude and making assumptions. It, it doesn't look like that either. Thinking you know why a person is acting the way they are or why they said what they said. It's not for you, folks. You are not God. This is not humility. It also looks like holding grudges and refusing to forgive others. You know, it's as one person said, refusing for, to forgive is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's hurtful to us. So how does this happen? I like what the Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf said in his book, A Spacious Heart. He said, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and myself from the community of sinners. Ouch. Right? But this is, in fact, what we do, I think, if we're, if we're honest, if we're honest. Brothers and sisters, forgiveness is a sign of a humble heart. It's a sign of a humble heart. Forgiveness is evidence that the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God for your life has really sunk into you to the point that you are acting toward others the way that God has acted toward you. This is why John says in his epistle that if you claim to love God but don't love your neighbor, you are a liar. Why does John say this? Remember, this is the beloved disciple, the one who, who laid his head on Jesus in da Vinci's painting, who was in touch with the love and the mercy and grace of God in a way the other disciples weren't. And he knew and he understood that if you really grasp how wicked a sinner you are and how great the love and mercy and grace and forgiveness of God is for you. How can you withhold that from others? 
It simply says you still have a ways to go in understanding who God is. It says nothing of the other person. It says more about us and our own journey. I know these are hard words, but I think if you look inside, you'll find the spirit there nodding and saying, you know this to be true. That's why St. Thomas Aquinas thought that humility is the beginning of Christian virtue. It is the beginning of Christian virtue because without humility, we cannot be in a position of, of openness. That's the, the meaning of the open hands, right? We can't be in a position of openness to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The lack of humility is this. Humility is this. And since these virtues are given to us by the Holy Spirit, without humility, we cannot live lives of Christian holiness. We cannot follow Jesus with clenched fists and closed up hearts. We can't grow into Christ's likeness. And so the Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. He said, Therefore, as God's chosen people, which you are, if you claim the name of Jesus this morning, you're here in worship, glorifying his name, this is for you. Paul says, holy and dearly loved you are, clothe yourselves. And just get this image. You got up this morning and you put clothes on. When you get up in the morning, you're clothing yourself with what? Compassion. You're choosing to put it on, to take off the old, to put off the flesh, and to put on compassion. This is, this is a co-suffering love. It literally means with passion. We, so we call it the passion of the Christ because it's about the suffering of Christ. To choose humility, folks, to choose to love like Jesus is to suffer. And sometimes that suffering may be, I have been wrongly accused, I've been ill-treated, something's not right, but I'm going to choose to suffer with that rather than to judge people who I can't see their heart and whom my vision has been obscured and broken because of my own sin and trauma in my own past, which I'm bringing to this situation here. Do you understand what I'm saying? So compassion, a co-suffering love. I'm willing to hurt for the sake of this, to do what is right, to be kind, Paul said, to clothe yourself with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Think about it. This is what Jesus is like. To bear with each other and to forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Folks, there's, there's freedom in it. And until we do, we are locked up. We're, we're chained up. You think you're hurting the other person. You're really hurting. I am really hurting myself. So this is, this is good news. Even though it's challenging in the beginning to say, I'm sorry or I forgive you, if we can, if we can get those words out, if we can humble ourselves and get to that place, the Lord will give us the strength to put on these virtues, Paul said, to put on love. And that love will bind all things together in perfect unity. Verse 13 there, the New Living Translation said, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. And remember the Lord forgave you, so you gotta forgive others. 
Notice, while expressing these virtues and developing this Christian character cannot happen without the Spirit. This is a work of the Spirit. It also cannot happen unless you and I do our part. We have a part to play, right? Paul said, work out your salvation. Join with God, yield to God, join with God in working out your salvation and developing this Christian character. So we've got to decide to yield to the Spirit, to clothe ourselves. You could say it this way. Anybody, your parents ever lay out your clothes in the morning? You know, my parents did. I can still remember in junior high, you know, sometimes, one day somebody made a comment. It's, they, they said, you are always matching. You always, do, do, do you pick out your own clothes? And I was kind of embarrassed to say, no, my mom does that for me. The Holy Spirit lays out your clothes every morning. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? We've talked about some of those already this morning. And the clothing you with humility and gentleness and compassion and kindness, it is up to you to put on the clothes. The Holy Spirit is laying it out. We have to clothe ourselves. In other words, we must apply the gospel to every area of our life. And here are a few practical ways that we, we can begin to do that each day. You see, humility is a virtue born of the Spirit, but it's discovered and it's expressed. It's lived out as we confess this each and every day. And for some of you, you might actually just literally do this when you get up in the morning as a way of saying, I'm putting on the clothes that the Holy Spirit has laid out for me. So we recognize, we confess our own sinfulness, weakness, brokenness, and limitations. That is, our true self meets the gospel, and we reject pride and shame each and every day, and when it wells up and boils up up within us, and folks, I say this from experience, you know, I, I understand what this is like. And then we acknowledge that we're made in God's image and broken and and not as we should be. And so in this confession, we say, we confess we are spiritually poor. That's what Jesus meant, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Notice the Beatitudes begin with, you want to live into this blessed life. You want to live into the life of the kingdom that Jesus is about to outline for us in the Sermon of the Mount. It begins with recognizing your own spiritual poverty. God, I need you. Lord, I need you. It also means we confess our daily need for God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Remember Proverbs 3:34 which James and Peter both mention in their epistles, says God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. You see, taking time to confess our sins ought to lead to this recognition of our need for God's mercy and grace. And this posture, like that of the tax collector in Luke 18, which we read, creates in us a posture that leads to transformation and being a blessing to others. And then lastly, we confess our need for others, especially those within the body of Christ. You know, it's real easy to sit where you are this morning and think, I think I'm a pretty humble person. But the only way to know 
if this humility is present in your life is to be in relationship with others. I thought I had my life together. I thought I, thought I had things together before I got married. And then I realized I've got some junk I got to deal with. And, and the same thing, whether you're married or single, right? Because singleness is not a disease that needs a cure here in this church. Jesus was single. But we all need relationships. And we all need community. And this is one of the reasons for it. I mean, we were, we were created by a relational God. But you see, it's, it's, this is how we, we discover and live out and grow into the fruit of the Spirit, including humility, is by in relationship. Not just by sitting where you are or up in your room thinking, I, I think I'm a pretty humble person. We got to live this out. My friends, humility can only be developed and expressed in relationships and in community, particularly with people, particularly with people who aren't like you. If you're cynical, you hang around a bunch of cynical people, well, you're not going to be challenged with your lack of humility there. But if you're around other people that maybe they, they're willing to say things out of love that are hard to hear but you know are true, this is the kind of community that we're being invited into in the church. Also think about this. The Trinity, that is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right, is, is a community of humble, submissive relationships that work in such harmony that there is unity and oneness. That's why we say that God is three in one. Not three gods, three persons, but one God. How so? Because it is a working of humble, submissive relationships, and we're to reflect that kind of community in the church. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 3, live a life worthy the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, just the other day, I saw that author and editor, uh, Caitlin Beatty, uh, she used to work for Christianity Today, posted this to her social media account. She said, it's amazing to me that the etymology of the word humility is hummus. Oh, not the dip that you buy from Trader Joe's. But literally, it means on the ground, on the earth. To be humble is to remember that you are made of earth, that God created us from the ground and that we are all headed back there someday soon. To be humble is to be rooted or grounded, to be deeply embedded within flesh and blood communities of people who know us well, including our limitations and blind spots and who deeply love us just the same. There's something about this in-person, on-the-ground connection that keeps us keenly aware that we are but human, but also that to be human, bearing the image of the creator of the universe is a glorious thing. I love that. Finally, church, here's some questions for reflection to help us respond to the message that we've been hearing this morning. Number one, are you, are you aware of your own sinfulness, weakness, and limitations? I know it would it, be, be easy to real quick just say, oh, well, yeah, of course. Just kind of move on. But we need to kind of sit with that for a minute and let the Spirit 
speak to you, not to drive you to the ditch of shame, right, to, to bring you to this place of equality, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. So just if you would for a moment, just reflect on that, your own sinfulness, weakness, and limitations. And number two, in light of Christ's mercy, grace, and forgiveness in your own life, are you extending this same love to others? So as you begin thinking about yourself, now think about that other person that you're having a hard time loving or forgiving. The same mercy, grace, and forgiveness God is bestowing upon you How do we get that love, mercy, and grace, forgiveness extended to this other person or persons? And then lastly, number three, how is the Spirit inviting you to grow in humility toward everyone that you meet? Because folks, our country needs more Christians, followers of Jesus, to embody humility for such a time as this. Amen. Would you close your eyes with me as I, actually I'm going to keep mine open because I'm going to read here. Just to to help us absorb Philippians 2, I'm going to read it again as a way of reflection and hearing from the Lord. I'm going to read it again, this time from the message Just hear this as if it was written to you. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status quo no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. But because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth even those long ago dead and buried will bow and worship 
before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Father, we thank you, Lord, for how your spirit is speaking to us now. And we know, Lord, we know that this is true. But Lord, we need your help to become more like Jesus. We need your help to give you our hurt, to give you our brokenness, to recognize our limitations, to humble ourselves. Help us, Lord, to begin by truly seeing ourselves the way that you see us in that brokenness and then receive your unlimited favor, your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy and your love that we might extend that to others. Help us to do that, Lord. For it's in Christ's name that we pray.